Take a moment to close your eyes and come into an awareness of your breathing. Allow your breath to have its natural rhythm as you soften any areas of tension in your body. A shining light appears above you. This light is warm and golden, and it flows down into you and fills your entire being. This light is divine love. Here we are inside off the left eye. Stick around to hear about a meditation tool that you can use to connect to the reality of divine love. Next, Dr. Jonathan Rose, series editor for the New Century Edition translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg, explores the angel work of face, palm, and voice reading. Then we travel to 1748, to the day when Swedenborg got to experience dying without dying, this week in history. All right. So welcome to another episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. And this past week on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel, we put in our second edition of uh, the Chasing Swedenborg program that we've launched just in the last couple of weeks. And so this second idea that we chased is about the son of heaven, which what Swedenborg calls the son of heaven, meaning S-U-N, this this sort of a phenomenon in the spiritual world that is like a son, only it's entirely spiritual. So you can hear um, Curtis's ideas about chasing that idea in his life on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. And I'm going to give some thoughts because I went I went to the number where this uh the number that we're specifically chasing this week, which is Heaven and Hell 117, where Swedenborg writes, Heaven's son is the Lord. Okay, so because Swedenborg describes it when we're in the spiritual world, it it exists outside of time and space, but there's an appearance of time and space. So you really do have this sun um, that is in the sky. And he says that that sun is the Lord. And Here's how he goes on about it, because I was reading this number, and this is what really struck me. So I'm going to share a reflection on this other part of Heaven and Hell 117, where he goes on about this idea of heaven, uh, heaven's son. He says, the reason the Lord in heaven appears as the son is that he is the divine love from which all spiritual things come into being. And through the agency of our world son, all natural things as well. That love is what shines like a sun. And so I just love that idea that that love, divine love, is what shines like a sun. And the first thing that came to me when I was reading this idea is that this is the tool that I so often use and that I've heard in a lot of other places for meditation, like a meditation exercise that, so maybe you've heard this kind of thing before and it was probably the first kind of meditation I was ever introduced to, which was where you, um, you know, close your eyes and get comfortable and just uh, focus on your breathing for a little bit. But then you purposefully picture a sun or some like shining light, whether it's above you or below you or just sort of outside of you in some way. And it's this shining golden light that is 
warm and, you know, bright. Sometimes even it's described as being sort of fluid because it shines into you. And then you go through the process and the meditation of letting that light, it gets absorbed into your body. And then you slowly imagine it filling out every little, you know, nook and cranny of your whole being. And as you are experiencing this light, it is it is love itself. You know, it's this loving light. You know, we don't think of light as being sort of conscious, but it's just that's the way even in meditation it's put is like this love is calming and it makes you feel at peace and it's warm and comforting and it, you know, fills your whole body until you're just shining with it. And and that's this state of, you know, meditative peace. And so even though I heard that when I was a child, then I, as I've explored meditation and through a lot of different traditions, it comes back, this, this idea of that light that you can connect to really anytime, but just as a tool of centering yourself in divine love. And so this, you know, when I chase this idea in my life, for me, it's been this like pivotal shift to really think that that light, it's not just that I'm imagining it. That is a real thing that is a constant and it is that divine love. So that's what Swedenborg says, that that love is what shines like a sun. And so when I'm, it might feel like I'm just imagining it, but that there is actually a real presence that is divine love itself that is wanting to flow into me. And so when I take the time to, uh, you know, look inward and imagine receiving that loving light, there's a real spiritual effect there, you know, and it's, and to really think of it being that it loves you, you know, like that love is passionate about who you are and, you know, that the, the potential, the creative potential that, and the good that you can bring into the world, like that love has a desire to, to fill you and be expressed through you. It's been a practice for me to get more and more comfortable with really feeling like there is that connection point with divine love itself within myself, that I can embody, receive this love, you know, consciously in meditation, but then more and more just recognize that there is that, that is an accessible force that is with me all the time. So that's what came up for me when I was chasing this idea in my life. And it's, it's the chase is not over uh, because it's such a great tool. And I think there's so much more to think about and uh, consider, but, you know, I'll be interested to, uh, or I like to imagine that you are getting inspired by this, um, idea that love is what shines like a sun and heaven's sun is the Lord and how accessible that is in your life. And I wonder how that impacts your day to day, you know, to have that sense that there's this divine love shining that you can connect to anytime. So what does that look like? How does that change the way you're going to think about making dinner today or whatever it is? So that's very fun. And so then that's what we've been chasing this week. And tomorrow we'll be launching our next chase. And so, of course, we're always uh, 
exploring these ideas, but take each one, take all the time you need with each of them or jot it down and maybe one or the other will feel just right for you, uh, for where you are in your life. And so you can catch a new Chasing Swedenborg episode tomorrow, Monday on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. And, uh, and that'll be fun to see what we'll be exploring this next week. And so at the end of the show, we'll be meeting up with Curtis and Jonathan to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. But first, let's go visit the desk of the NCE. All right, welcome to the NCE Spotlight, where we shine our spotlight on the discoveries being made in the work of the NCE, the New Century Edition, translation of the theological works of Emanuel Swedenborg. So fun. Yes. Here you are, Dr. Jonathan Rose. What is going on? Well, I've been editing a number of different texts which has been fun. Mm-hmm. You're working. And That's good. <laughs> yes, it is. It is very good. And uh, Soul Body Interaction is yeah. this small work. It's only 23 pages long in the first edition, wow. uh, but highly philosophical, not an easy thing to edit. Hmm. And there was a statement in there that I, um, I was really struck by. Hmm. As you were editing, as you were doing your editing work. As I was going through the editing, yes, there was a Mm. statement that just stood out to me. Nice. I want to introduce it this way, that Swedenborg says a number of times, this mind-boggling thing, that angels can uh, look at a person's palm or hear one word out of their mouth. Hmm and know exactly who they are. See, one of the astonishing things uh, about the human race is that no two people are alike. When you really think about it, it's astonishing. Yeah. And so how do we know who we're dealing with? We encounter strangers all the time. How do we know who that is? Well, these angels have this ability to zero in really quickly. Like one word is not a long read, you know? Yeah. They get a fix very quickly on who a person is and all about them, what makes them tick and who they are, the type of person they are. And there are special angels who who do this. Um, you know, this is a skill that they have. Hmm. And so when people first arrive in the spiritual world, they they get sort of sorted, an initial sort, you know, by angels doing this. Yeah. But I always wondered how they did that. And Swedenborg finally, in this work that was done in 1769, just two years before his last work and three Uh years before he died, he gives you an idea of how they do it. Now, uh, I don't know how translatable this is into our lives, but I still found this really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. He talks about it being a very philosophical work. He talks about this in terms of what older translations used to call end, cause, and effect. And the NCE translates these. The the problem I always had with end, cause, and effect is that cause in English, there's nothing that causes a cause. The cause causes the effect. Mm. There's no threesome that has something before the cause. Right, right. You know, that doesn't make sense. But 
in uh, Latin, it's quite clear that these are what we would mean by terms like purpose or goal, means, and result. Okay. Purpose, and, and that makes means, sense. Result. That, that, yeah. that you have a purpose, and then you need to get the means, and then you achieve the result. And that's a kind of a riff that Swedenborg does a lot of times in his works in, in one way or another. Right. And so <clears throat> Swedenborg says that in people, this is how angels do it. They understand that in people, hmm. the end or the purpose is the person's principal love. There's a, a ruling love, a dominant love, he sometimes calls it. Hmm. Uh, that is their purpose. That's what they love above everything. It's so powerful that Swedenborg says in Heaven and Hell at one point that people can, when if they figure out what your love is, they can sort of lead you around like you're on a rope or something uh, wow. because that love is so powerful. You just, I can't resist it. You know, I have to go <laughs> where, where my love says to go. Wow. Then there is a level, and so that's sort of what we might commonly refer to as the heart. Then there's a, what he calls a discrete. He's very big on this idea of these distinct levels or discrete degrees. Yeah. And that, that the, between the purpose, the means, and the result, the purpose is not the same as the means. The means are not the same as the result. But you need all three to get anything done. Mm -hmm. And in us, the love is the purpose. That's on one level. Then the means actually exist in our mind. They are our rationality, our understanding Mm. which is unique. Everybody's love is unique. Everybody's understanding is unique. And our understanding is the means that we have put together of accomplishing our goal. It doesn't mean that it's a correct understanding. You know, we may be out of our minds or something, but still there's a thought in there somewhere. But here's what I love and here's how I want to get there. Mm. And then on the outside, the, the level of results or effect is the, your actions. Another point to know about it is that loves come in an infinite variety. Every single person is different. But there's only three kinds, basically, he hmm. says. <laughs> there's a spiritual love, a love of heaven, which he calls a spiritual love. And it's interesting, in some other passages, he'll have a separate love of God versus love of the neighbor. Right. Here he kind of lumps those two together and just calls them love of heaven. Okay. Heaven's all about God. It's all about the neighbor. You know, let's just call it love of heaven. Then there, and that's spiritual. And then there's uh, what he calls a love of the world, which is um, materialistic in nature. Mm -hmm. And when this is dominant, like... If it fits in in its proper place in your life, that's fine. But if it's dominant, that will make you prioritize things over people. You mm -hmm. know, you'll prioritize profits over customers or, or things like that. And we've all seen examples of that coming out that way. And then the third one is what he calls love of self. And as we often say, uh, that doesn't mean having a nice bubble bath to relax at the end of the day. <laughs> yes. That's about... Uh, extreme kind of narcissism or the feeling that you alone are alive and nobody else really matters. Uh, other people's lives don't matter and so on. Right. And this is something that Swedenborg interestingly refers to as body-oriented. Like it's even more the worldliness like wealth and, and pleasure in the world still is somewhat outside of you. 
but this ego is like it's right within your own flesh and your skin. Hmm. So from Swedenborg's standpoint, it's in some ways the most limited, even though, you know, bodies are great. I mean, you have, you have to have one and everything. Right. So, and there's a trick that Swedenborg described. He doesn't use the term trick. I, I, <laughs> I say trick. that because I'm frankly yeah. jealous of the angels who can do this. But <laughs> Those uh, palm readers. All, all you have to do when yeah. you encounter somebody is through the person's tone of voice, okay. the angels perceive what that person loves above all. So what they're looking at is they're reading the tone of voice to try to get that sense of that love. And you know how it is with people's voices. You can hear in someone's voice of whether is there a harshness or a sweetness or a, you know, kind of a strength or a, mm -hmm. you know, softness or, or, or whatever. Then in the person's face, they oh. see an image of that love. Like that's the understanding part or something. So so they listen to the tone oh, of voice. Yeah. They look at the face and they see an image of that love. So they so they read your face for kind of the means part or the form that that takes. And in the person's gestures, so they may just do some little flick of the hand. But isn't it amazing? I remember seeing, um, you know, I, I used to uh, take my kids to ballet class and Every kid in the class is doing it slightly differently. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> no two people do the same thing the same way every time, you know. And uh, when angels are looking at the gestures, they see what shape that love takes when it's coming into action. Now, this is mm. really interesting. Uh, I don't know how much it applies to us in this world um, because right. there's an added layer here. Your your face looks the way it does in this world because of heredity and you know right. that that uh, soccer accident you had as a child or, or whatever it is you know and and so it doesn't necessarily reflect your spirit. This works a lot better when you're in an honest world, right? <laughs> you know when when somebody's heart and 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 mind and actions are are more evident. But I'm still fascinated. There is something that we can take away from this. And Swedenborg does talk about the fact that the wise in this world can, they, they pay attention. You know, there's one mm. way of looking at somebody is just to look at what they do. What, what are they doing? Mm -hmm. But then there's another way to look at what is in their head. You know, what are they what are they thinking? There's something strategic or they're going for something or, or what is their understanding? What's their philosophy? And then there's what is their passion? What's their purpose? You know, what, what's the purpose behind this? Mm -hmm. And Swedenborg even says that the different angels sort out according to this way of thinking about things, that there are angels that think about the, the results and there are angels that think about the means and there's angels that are focused on the purpose of the goal behind it all. And so these highest kind of angels can read people with astonishing quickness. And it was a cool little hint. You know, we might get some of that in this world, but to think about that, the tone of voice, the face and the gestures, being able to read someone's unique love and how that love manifests through a given understanding and how that comes out in actions, different with every single person. But luckily, the Lord has bestowed on these angels the ability to read people 
And maybe even when we're here in this world, we can try to pick up a little bit of this to try to tell who these people are that we're that we're dealing with. Who is that? Do I trust this person? Uh, do I tell them this or that? Uh, uh, how do I interact with this person? What would be beneficial to this person? Swedenborg says that the ancients had this whole system of figuring out what type of person they were dealing with so that they could benefit them. Mm-hmm. This type of person really needs the truth. This type of person needs love. This person needs confrontation, you know, or whatever, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, figuring out what, what they need and trying to dial it in so that you can love the neighbor wisely. So anyway, there was a lot of things in there that I'd never heard before. That soul body interaction, section 17, subsection four, that just kind of blew my mind. Seriously, one subsection of one number in a small work just <laughs> in a small work. <laughs> infinitely depth deep. <laughs> it's only 20 sections long, so it's buried just sort of to, to the toward the end of the book. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That is amazing. But this is what makes my life fun is that the the voyage of discovery and finding things that are new, even the, in works that I've edited and edited and gone over and over again, and I'll see something new. Uh, there, there really is a life, um, you know, there's, there's something very special in these works. And it's fun to think that even just one little subsection like that could turn into a whole diagnostic tool or, or yes. something, you know, could turn into a whole psychological practice or something like that. Right. Oh, yeah. Like a, a means of reflection on yourself, like a way to think about yourself and, you know, and then also to write like in some sort of a therapy counseling a situation, like a way to get to know your client or something. And uh, and it makes me think of um, uh I'm thinking of like iconography where it's often about sort of the position, you know, what the face is doing in a painting. I'm thinking about like Buddhist ones and often the hands are in a very specific position or a gesture, you know, that means something. So and like and I don't know then if there's, you know, the sort of iconic music that goes with different traditions or something. But what fun jobs those uh, those angels have. Indeed. The host of them. Well, thanks so much, Jonathan. That's great to get to dive deep with you into soul-body interaction. And let's go onward now to see where Swedenborg was this week in history. Hey, Curtis and Jonathan. Hello. Hey there. Hey, so here we are, and this week in history we are going to the year 1748 because on march 1st of 1748 is the day that swedenborg experienced the dying process and he actually put a date on it which is amazing <laughs> live to tell the tale Astonishing. Yeah, right? <laughs> like so much of swedenborg's experience I mean, it's such an interesting thing. This seems like such an amazing moment that this was the time that he was actually given uh, this the experience of dying. And and so I also when I was when I found that this is what happened this week in history, I was interested that it was 1748. You know, like I sort of thought maybe you needed to be like a senior, you know, like older to get to have that experience. Like that's what the people who have been doing this for a long time, they get to experience dying or something. But I think that it's actually very pretty early on in Swedenborg's timeline. And so 
just to give you a sense of that, it was just six months before this time that he made that note to himself that there was a change of state in him into the heavenly kingdom and image, which we talked about in um, episode three of the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. And and then even more recently, just a couple of months ago, which we explored more recently in episode 19, he had this major, you know, the roof kind of got blown off the top of his spiritual sense of God because he was put in touch with spirits from other planets. Um, and and so then here he is in March and he we know he was physically he was in Amsterdam at this time and and it's later in this year that he goes to London to start writing Secrets of Heaven. So he hasn't even started writing Secrets of Heaven yet. And I wonder if it was actually this sort of like, well, we got to, you know, this is part of your core curriculum or something like that. Like you need to experience dying. And then and then we sort of maybe we've covered all the bases for him to be able to be ready to write Secrets of Heaven. Right. Hmm. He records this experience in a couple of places. So first in Secrets of Heaven, and it's actually right early on, number 169, which means he had this experience, and then as soon as he started writing Secrets of Heaven, he incorporated it into his draft of the work. Mm, that's um, right. And then, and then even later, he takes that chunk and includes it in Heaven and Hell, which is one of the first books he publishes after Secrets of Heaven um, in 1758, right? And but we're going to go back to the, you know, the first record where he writes about it in spiritual experiences. You know, it's where he wrote the date down. So I'm assuming, but let's say he's, this has all just happened to him. So he's just, you know, writing it down to record. This is what it was like. And so I'll give a little introduction from, this is um spiritual experiences number 1092. And here's what he writes. I was let this morning into the condition of those who are dying so that I might know what their state of mind is while they die and following their death. I was, of course, not dead, but came into a kind of unconsciousness as to bodily sensation, my inward life remaining intact so that I could be aware of and retain in my memory what happens to those who are dying. So that's how it begins. And... And then this goes on for several numbers where he, you know, paragraph numbers where he is writing down the details of this experience. And we're going to share some of those details, but you might just be wondering, like, how, how the heck did he do this? You know, how did this work? <laughs> you know, how could he experience dying without dying? And it's so fascinating because Swedenborg, the scientist, gives a little bit of the context of the how because... Um, he says that it had to do with this, uh, a, you know, practice or ability or exercise of what he called internal breathing, where he said he was kept in this state of what he calls internal breathing, which is what allowed his uh, body and spirit to be separate without his body dying. So his spirit got to experience what death is like, but it didn't actually happen to his body because he was somehow kept in this state of internal breathing. So... If that mm. explains anything, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and so let's do this lightning round of highlights of the dying process. 
And so I've sort of orchestrated this a bit beforehand. So we're each going to take turns and uh, give you, the listener, the the sort of cliff notes, the highlights of um, the this experience of dying that Swedenborg had. So, Curtis, you want to start us off? Sure thing. Well, we begin with a fun session of face inducement. There are these angels <laughs> around Swedenborg in number 1097. And it says that so they can learn whether or not... Swedenborg has died. They are sort of sending out their affections. And once they see these faces, they're somehow impressing on Swedenborg, mirrored in his own face. When they say, oh, that's my face and his face. That's how they know that he's died. Wow. Face inducement. (laughs) It sounds like a spa service. (laughs) Yes. High quality. All right, Jonathan. Yeah. And the beings that are with you at that time are the highest heavenly angels. And it's quite a process. You know, we may think about sort of the moment of death and science has gotten more interested in that. But I think to Swedenborg, there was, you know, it's like a process that lasts over a couple of days or something, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're winding down and so on. But angels hook up with you before you even transition and then they stay with you for quite a long time uh, until you're entirely released from the bodily elements and you're fully present in the spiritual world. Wow. All right. So another thing that he mentions is these, he says that there are these like aromatics or some sort of sense that the, on a spiritual level that the spirit takes on, which actually keeps demons away and one that he even calls out is sort of like a nice, sweet smell of excrement, and which is like such an odd example to give, but it just <laughs> perfectly brings to mind baby poop. You know, like that is, if you've ever smelled it, it's like, it's poop, but it's not poop. Like you're not, you're not so worried about getting that stuff on you because it just huh. like, it just has the sweet baby smell to it. And so I love that that's actually like, there's some sort of a special smell that maybe kind of smells like that that keeps demons away. Hmm. And you know that Swedenborg is not trying to sound credible in certain ways. Like if he was making it up (laughs) to try to convince people that he had gone through the afterlife, there's an easier route you can take than face (laughs) inducement and baby poop aromatherapy. Like this, he didn't have to put this stuff in here. So I, I think that that he's reflecting some kind of reality thing okay so after that um yep. he he stops and lingers on the point that listen your doesn't matter what's happened to your body uh, it doesn't matter how you died your soul is one thing doesn't matter if you are i think he says like cut into a million pieces you know and scattered to the winds or whatever uh the soul it's it, it, i've heard people worried about you know the the, co- the manner in which you die affecting your spirit's journey but it doesn't They're, the two are right. separate systems and there's an interesting facet of shifting because when you go from being an earthly being to to being a fully kind of realized spiritual being, there's a shift in thinking. And there's an interesting point in here at which Swedenborg says that the angels sort of freeze your thinking. <laughs> it's kind of like a computer that's frozen or something, you know, rather than have you going through a thought process they just hold you in a certain thought, and it sounds like they hold you in some beautiful thought. Uh, for a lot of people, 
It is simply the idea of life going on, the idea of eternal life, everlasting life. Uh, but for other people, it sounds like it might be something different if you're thinking about God or love or, or something spiritual. Hmm. But whatever that is, you're sort of held in that thought while you transition. I love that. Oh, that's amazing. And so then here's another one that at some point, you know, we talked about those like heavenly beings that kind of hold you, you know, in those thoughts about eternal life and are doing this like affection focusing on your face or something, Um, that they're with you through that whole transition. But then eventually there's this shift from heavenly beings to spiritual beings. Um, And Swedenborg says that that shift is not like uh, it, it's just whenever it's right for each individual. Um, and and he says that eventually, and this is sort of like as you're gaining consciousness of the spiritual world, you things end up feeling those spiritual beings end up making it possible for you to have the sense that you're just still in life the way you would find it most familiar feeling so that at some time uh, you might you know you wouldn't even know that you had died and that you're living in the other world which like we're we're used to that trope in like films and movies and stuff now but like here's Swedenborg saying it you know 200 and some years ago where uh, that whole idea that you can cross over without realizing it but not you know not in a frightening way but just the fact that it's going to feel so familiar, just like, you know, the the best things of the way life just feels like now. So, all right, one last final round. Curtis. Yeah, well, when when um you first were saying, the Swedenborg was shown the dying process, I was thinking to myself, why have I heard myself say that phrase so many times? And it's because in this dying process is where we get the off the left eye phrase. Yes. That it's not actually in this spiritual experiences version in direct reference to the left eye, but in the heaven and hell version and secrets of heaven version, it is. Isn't so that interesting? That he from, adds in that detail later. Yeah, oh, which is, yeah, changed the course of history, obviously. Um, <laughs> but it, it does, it does, um, that's how you explain why we call ourselves off the left eye. So um, in 1106, he says that there's these spirits with him and they showed how they rolled off the tunics so that the eye appears. But because I was alive, they tried but couldn't. So somehow in the spirit, they they uncover the eye to allow it to, to use. So when the membranes have been rolled off, that's when he says that you're granted the use of spiritual light or spiritual sight. So there, there is this step that it sounds like here he includes this detail that oh, they couldn't quite get it to go because like wait <laughs> did we make a mistake Marsha yeah. is this guy still alive <laughs> yes exactly and oh, I wonder if fabulous. that use of light is the same as thinking like now you're back online with right your own maybe that freedom thought, of thought comes you know? back yeah yeah it kicks back in and then Swedenborg mentions a final element that I think r- runs throughout the entire process really Mm-hmm. which is the force of the Lord's mercy. We may live our lives feeling like, I don't know if God cares if I live or die or whether I'm some giant cosmic mistake or or whatever. But actually, uh, as people are dying, there's this very powerful force of attraction. I think of it sort of like a tractor beam or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, right. you know? 
and, and the force of his mercy is this desire to draw everybody into eternal happiness. I'm even wondering, Swedenborg doesn't say this, but is that what forms that sense of a tunnel? Because so many people talk oh. in near-death experiences about being drawn, don't they? They're, they're pulled out of their mm. body and into this tunnel. And, and is that a manifestation of that force of mercy? And so Swedenborg says he has felt this hmm. amazing kind of suction or drawing or whatever you'd call it, this power of the, the Lord's spiritual gravity pulling us toward himself. Wow. That is just amazing. And I think that is such an interesting connection to make with that with the tunnel uh, that people so often describe, the tunnel of light or the light at the end of the tunnel um, drawing them. Oh, so interesting. Well, and as like the cherry on top is we off the left eye made a video of this dying process that you can find on the off the left eye YouTube channel that is called What Dying Feels Like. And it goes through these experiences that as Swedenborg records it and uh, portrays them visually and even has this fabulous uh, original custom music uh, put to the put to the video. So it's just, it's a wonderful little short video. So you can find that on the Off the Left Eye YouTube channel. So thank you, Curtis and Jonathan. This was fun to go through the dying process with you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Fun day trip. (laughs) Yeah. And nice to know when it happened. Exactly. March 1st. Right there in that kind of early spring, you know. I know. All right. Well, I'm Chelsea Odner and we'll be here with you next week inside Off the Left Eye. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Inside Off the Left Eye. Subscribe to Inside Off the Left Eye to never miss when a new episode comes out. And while you're at it, rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. That would be a huge gift to us and helps others find the show. If you're hungry for more, you can explore all our spiritually enriching content at our website, offthelefteye.com. Thank you so much for listening. (laughs) 